Heavenly Father, we want to give you praise as our creator, as the one who has saved us, redeemed us by your death on the cross, Lord Jesus, and through your resurrection. And you have given us your Holy Spirit, and you have given us a spiritual gift, and you've given us, as Brother Carl Kerrigan used to say, assignments while we're here on earth. And I pray, Father, that whether we are 10 years old or 100 years old, I pray that we would be walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. I pray that we would love you with everything that we've got. And I pray that that would also show up in the way that we love other people, loving our neighbors, even here in the church, loving one another as we should, being unified as we should. And I ask you to forgive us as an older generation where we can point out all of the younger generation's flaws, but have we really prayed? And have we really prayed out of love? Have we really prayed because we know that you made them and you made them for their generation? And we may not fully understand it, but we don't really have to. You do. And you know the times in which they are born. You know the times in which they are going to live. And you know the suffering that they're going to have to endure. And Father, as uh, we think about them, we don't have much confidence in the flesh and so we can't put our confidence in them. We have to put our confidence in you. That you know what you're doing in them. You know what you are doing through them. You know why you made them, how you made them. And for the times that you made them, strengthen them, bless them, and help them. And in line with our Sunday school lesson, we pray for these three things. Father, would you cause younger people to know and to see that they are created by you and accountable to you. And the only way to be right with you is through the shed blood and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the gospel go forth in this generation unlike any other, Father. Save many, many, many people. But let them see their accountability. Let them see also, Lord, that life is passing away faster than they think it's going to. Because I know for a lot of them, they think they're always going to be young. They're always going to be cool. They're always going to be in touch. And uh, that time passes very quickly. And I pray for them that they would not waste their time or waste their life. That would be true for older people as well. Don't let us waste whatever time, resources, availability that we have on frivolous things. Thinking that we've just deserved to hang it all up and leave it to somebody else. Let us... Be found faithful whenever you return or whatever the end comes for us. And then, Father, we want to pray because young people have a hard time understanding how hard life can be. And Solomon wants them to remember their Creator before the days come when they say, I have no pleasure in them. And we pray that you would prepare them for grief, for sorrow. We pray that you would prepare them for betrayals. We pray that you would prepare them for hard economic and political times. We pray that you would prepare them for the fruits of immorality when they come upon them and their family. And we want to pray that you would prepare them for persecution for what they believe and give them backbones of steel. And we pray, Father, that they would be uncompromising, but we also pray that they would be filled with the love of God like we've never seen before. And we pray that for all of us, for those who are passing off of the scene, for those who are just kind of coming on the scene, I pray, Lord, that one thing would characterize all of us, 
and that is faithfulness and love for the Lord Jesus Christ and love for one another and a heart for the gospel. Please, Lord. And I pray for all of us that when we finish, whether young or old, because we're all going to finish one day, I pray, Lord, that we would finish well for your glory, that we would help one another, that we would encourage one another, that we wouldn't rob others of the joy of the time of life that they're in. And Father, uh, give us strength, give us the convictions that we need, give us the understanding of your word that we need, and give us the strength of the Holy Spirit for everything that we face, because we know you are sufficient for everything we ever go through. We lean upon you. We are weak, but you are strong. Thank you that you give us your strength. And this we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you so much. I'd like for you to turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're still in chapter 1. We've made our way down to verse 6. We went through the introduction about Paul and Timothy and Silvanus. And then we talked about how Paul was thankful for these people, as we too ought to be thankful for one another. And uh, now, you remember when you were a kid and you used to play hide-and-seek? And when it uh, came time for the person who was it, when they got through counting, they said, Ready or not, what? Here I come. And uh, it's as if we can hear the Lord saying, ready or not, here I come. Now, for most of us in this room today, we would say with the Apostle John, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen? I mean, we're ready for the return of the Lord. We sing about it, we talk about it, and it's a sweet thing when our King is revealed. But you know what? There are people here, and I might be speaking to you in this room. You don't look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't love the thought of his appearing because you're not right with him. And you're afraid of what you're going to miss here on earth and uh, you're afraid of what he might do. Well, Paul talks about that here and he gives the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and he doesn't have it all framed in all grand and glorious, wonderful, sweet uh, terms because it's not that way for everybody. And on this day, this Palm Sunday, can you believe it's already time for Easter? On that day when they waved the palm branches, when Jesus was entering Jerusalem and said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, you remember that the, uh, the religious crowd said to Jesus, can you shut these people up? And Jesus said to them, if they are quiet, the stones will shout out. And uh, God is going to get his praise and he's going to get his glory. And Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to die on the cross, to be arrested, to suffer, to die, and to pay for the sins of everyone who would believe. And uh, then he was going to raise from the dead and then be ascended back to the Father. Well, we can kind of identify with that because we too are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because we're anticipating the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but his second coming. But just as in his first coming, the death on the cross and all of that, can you imagine what it's going to be like for uh, Pilate to stand before Christ 
and hear Christ say, you couldn't wash your hands of all of this, you're responsible, and Pilate have to confess that Jesus is Lord, as well as all the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, all of those who plan for that are going to stand before the Lord one day, and they're going to bow before him. That's not going to be a pleasant experience. And so what I want to say today is that Jesus is coming again. Is that good news or bad news for you? I want you to think about that because it's not the same for everyone, is it? And so 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Look at these words. Taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. So how does Paul frame the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, basically he puts it this way, good for believers... Not so good for non-believers. Those are very strong, powerful, and frightening terms when you look at it from the aspect of those who don't believe the gospel, those who don't submit to the Lord, those who don't love His appearing. And it is interesting because the Bible does talk about the, uh, the group of people who love His appearing. We look for His appearing. We want Him to return. We think about everything that's going to happen when he returns and our rescue from this lost and dying world and from the injustices that we face. It's going to be a glorious thing for us, but not for everybody. And like the little kid whose mom says, I'm going to go across the street to the neighbors. I'm going to be back. Stay out of the cookie jar, right? The kid who stays out of the cookie jar is not afraid of mom coming back. In fact, when mom comes back, that kid runs and hugs his mama. But the kid who's proverbially caught with his hand in the cookie jar is not loving her appearing at that particular moment. And there are some people that when they think about the Lord coming back again, it doesn't make them feel good. It doesn't make them happy. And uh, that's probably because their hand is in the cookie jar. They're living in a way that is displeasing to the Lord. And if you are unsaved, then you are displeasing to the Lord. And if you are a saved person, that you're living in sin and not loving the Lord, then uh, in a sense your hand is in the cookie jar. And uh, you may not be as excited about it as you should be. And uh, Paul frames it this particular way. But I want to ask you, uh, have you ever thought about the second coming of Christ in the terms that Paul set them out in here? Now, in this, he doesn't mention the Antichrist. He doesn't mention the mark of the beast. He doesn't mention the great tribulation. He doesn't mention signs of his coming or anything like that. So we're not either. We're just going to take it 
as it lines out here. And we're going to talk about the way Paul frames the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that all of us need to think of. Now you might say, well, I'm a Christian. What do I have to worry about? Do you know anybody who's lost? Is everyone in your family saved? Are all of your neighbors and friends and co-workers, have they all trusted Christ? Because until that mission is accomplished, getting the gospel to every creature, we really ought to have a concern for those that if the Lord were to come back today, what does that mean for your son or daughter? What does that mean for your husband or wife? What does that mean for your parents? What does that mean for all of the people that you care about and that you love? And so Paul is kind of jerking us up short to go, you need to think about this. Instead of glibly saying, oh, I can't wait till Jesus returns, probably ought to think a little bit more about it because here's how he frames it. Number one, the second coming has to do with righteousness. And that's what it says, since it is a righteous thing with God. And look what he says, to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Now, one of my first problems that comes up as a depraved sinner is, how come God can do that and I can't? How come I'm told not to repay evil for evil, but God can do it? And Paul answers it for us in there. For it is a, what kind of thing? Righteous thing now by righteous we mean number one that it's always right because God is never wrong and number two it's because of who God is God has the authority to demand things that you and I don't have the right to demand of other people and God can say this is what I want you to do and you had better do it because you are accountable to him he's the creator and you're the creature. And then there's another aspect of it. God is always right when he does this because nothing is hidden from his sight. Now there are times when you may, as a parent, you discipline child B when child A is really the problem, but you didn't know the whole story. You didn't see the whole thing. You didn't hear everything that was going on or you would punish the right uh, child. Well, God never has that problem because he knows each one of us thoroughly and completely everything we think, everything we feel, and everything we do, and everything we don't do. And that's true of every person on the earth. He knows every person's spiritual condition. He isn't guessing when he uh, separates the sheep from the goats in the Gospel of Matthew. He doesn't have to guess because there's nothing that can be confused about a sheep and a goat. And that's what he says about you and me. Everybody in the world is in two categories. They're either lost or they're saved. And the Lord has no confusion about any of those things. And when he comes back, Jesus said there's going to be a separation of the sheep from the goats. So when we think about this, why is it that God can do this? Because everything he does is righteous and because he is God and has that authority and because he has all knowledge and he never makes a mistake. There's never anything that uh, any evidence that they didn't have that uh, we just discovered like they do in 
courts of law. He doesn't have to do any of that. He knows. And so the second coming of Christ is going to be a time of righteousness, setting things right, setting things in order. Right now, our God is blasphemed. Our God is ignored. Our God is disobeyed. Our God is ignored. Maybe that's the worst thing. And uh, we think about that, but not on that day when he returns. No one is going to be able to ignore him. No one will disobey him. And he is coming to set everything in order. And everything in your life that has been, uh, well, we've all had those times when somebody judged us unfairly, when people even judged our Christianity. You're harsh, you're hate-filled. And we were not harsh and we were not hate-filled. We were just telling the truth. And we told the truth because we love our God and want to glorify Him. And we love the people that we're talking to. But you're a hate-monger. You might even be called a racist for all of that. And uh, all of those things that might be said. One day, folks, all of that is going to be set in order because the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is actually a righteous thing. It sets everything in the order that it ought to be. In that day, everyone will be aware of God and no one will be an agnostic, no one will be an atheist, and no one will shrug their shoulders and say, who cares, I'll do what I want. Everything is going to be set in order on that day, <clears throat> even punishment that is going to be meted out. In Romans chapter 12, 17, it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Why, why can we not do that? Because we'll always do it wrong. We'll be too harsh. We'll be unjust. We'll be unfair. All of those kind of things would characterize us that never characterize God. So he says, don't do it. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all don't forget who you are act like a christian in other words don't blow your testimony and he says if possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with everybody beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine and i will repay says the Lord. And that's what Paul is talking about. God is going to come back righteously setting everything in order and making everything the way that it is supposed to be. And it's a time when his wrath, as well as his love, is on display. When Jesus splits the eastern sky to come back and rule and reign on the earth, it's not going to be that most of the world is going to say, Oh, goody, finally! In fact, if you read in the book of Revelation, at that last battle, Armageddon, the kings of the earth are fighting each other until the Lord splits the eastern sky, and then they join together to fight against him. And it's going to be a terrifying time, and there's going to be much bloodshed, but all of it is going to be righteous. It's going to be right, and it's going to be meted out in the way that it is supposed to be. Now... Um, Jerry Bridges said, as we grow in holiness, we grow in hatred of sin. And God, being infinitely holy, has an infinite hatred for sin. 
And so we're growing in our love for God and at the same time in our hatred for sin. Things should bother you. Sin should bother you more now than it did when you were a baby Christian, when you were a young believer, when you were ignorant, when you didn't see everything. But now as you grow, the world ought to bother you. Injustice ought to bother you. Corruption ought to bother you. Immorality and perversion ought to bother you. Lies and untruths ought to bother you. That's the world in which we live. And the Bible says that the world is passing away. It's rotten. It's like a decaying corpse. We should never try to imitate a decaying corpse. We don't want to look like a decaying corpse. <coughs> Pardon me. We don't want to smell like a decaying corpse. In fact, we take decaying corpses and we put them away from us and we bury them where we can't see or experience any of that. And yet whenever you follow after the world, whenever you let them set the pace for you, when you love them and what they do, you are imitating a corpse that is passing away, the Bible says. And that is something that ought to bother us as we grow in the holiness of God. Number two, the second coming has to do with rest. Now here's one of the things that is mentioned as good. And Paul said that when the Lord comes, he's going to do righteous judgment. But for you, believers, he's going to give you rest. Now that type of rest that he means here doesn't mean laziness. It means that you will be able to cease from your labors, as the Bible says. But it also has the idea of security. In the Old Testament, whenever there was a woman like Ruth, the Moabitess, who needed a husband and needed the security that that would bring for her and for her future and for her children especially, sometimes it was called that you might find rest in a husband. Well, we're going to find our security when we come, when the Lord Jesus returns, no longer will your Christianity be in doubt. No longer will you be seen as the fool who follows this mythical sky God, I heard one person say about our Lord. We will be vindicated in all of that and we will be at rest. No more attacks. No more persecution. Can you imagine what it must be like for somebody sitting in a horrible jail cell this morning in a place like Cuba, in a place like North uh, Korea, in a place like Vietnam, in a place like China, in a place like Iran, in a place like Afghanistan where the Taliban is. And your only crime is that you were reading your Bible. Your only crime is that you gathered in a church to sing praises to the Lord. Your only crime is that out of love, you happen to tell somebody, I believe in God, and God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins and to bear His wrath for our sins. And He rose from the dead on the third day. And can you imagine that those things in so many places in the world are criminal offenses? And we think of it as a good thing. We think of it as something that's, well, it's Sunday morning, i got to go to church. They think of it in terms of, it's Sunday morning, I'm going to go to church, and this may be the last time I ever see freedom. And it means something to them. And those people, for them, all of the pressure is taken off. Those jails will be emptied. Those courtroom dockets will be cleared. Because at that particular moment, it becomes very clear who's right 
and who's wrong. And the ones who were right, the followers of Christ, receive rest because they are secure and they are protected in all of this. And that's what it means in Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, uh, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Holy Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. And in this situation, Paul said that when the Lord returns, that all of you who shared in my persecution, you're going to get to share in my rest. Can you imagine these Thessalonian baby Christians who would often get so confused about things? They did have one thing going for them. They were true believers. They loved the Lord and they were patiently enduring affliction that we cannot even imagine. I mean, about the boldest thing we ever do to get us in trouble is wear a Christian t-shirt. These people were dying. These people were suffering for their faith. And Paul said, you've been persecuted with us. You're also going to get the rest of an apostle because there's an equality in those of us who love the Lord Jesus Christ. So they are going to share in his rest and in that reward. Number three, the second coming has to do with the word here that comes up is revealing, revealing. Um, did you know the word revelation in the uh, Bible, the book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, that the Greek word for revelation is apocalypsis? Does that sound familiar? We talk about the apocalypse. Boy, are you ready for the apocalypse, the zombie apocalypse, and all those kind of things. Apocalypse for us means disaster. It means the end of everything and all of that. That's not the Greek word. The Greek word apocalypsis that is used here for the revealing of Christ and the revelation, the book, it means the unveiling. It's because Christ right now is hidden from the world. I don't care what kind of telescope you get, you take it and aim it toward the heavens and you will not see Jesus. He is hidden from us. And even those of us who are believers, Paul said we see through a glass and it's like a dark glass. It's dim. It's hard to see. We get just a little glimpse. But for the world, they are blind to everything. They might as well take a telescope and aim it at the sun where they look away and they can't see anything from it except spots in front of their eyes. But there's a day coming when the Lord is going to physically return and when he comes back, every eye is going to see and they're going to see him in a way they never ever imagined him you see to a lot of people today jesus is still a helpless baby in a manger he never grew up he's just somebody that once a year we think about a helpless cold baby in a manger and we think warm thoughts about the baby and we think about the homeless and we think about refugees and all the things that they try to attach to the uh, incarnation of christ wrongly and uh, we think about those kind of things but a baby is never any an object of fear unless maybe Herod didn't like to have the, a baby come because that meant there was a legitimate heir to the throne but he wasn't afraid of the baby that's why he went and had all of them killed why it's easy to kill a baby and that's why we abort so many babies it's easy 
to take care of that. They are defenseless and they are helpless. And if your God is still a baby in a manger, then you don't have any fear of him. In fact, he probably needs you. In fact, he probably ought to be nicer to you because you can make the baby warm. You can give the baby food. You can give the baby clothing or something. But Jesus didn't stay as a baby in a manger, did he? He grew up. And when you think about Jesus and you think about the pictures we see of Jesus, most of the time he doesn't look anything like Jesus would, would have looked because Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jew. And most of the paintings that we see and the pictures we see of Jesus, that guy is as European as I am. And that's not the way Jesus looked. And they picture him frail and they picture him as, as meek and mild and, well, frankly, kind of sissy. Right? And uh, I was watching a movie one time where Peter is a big, burly, hairy guy, you know, and muscular. And he has to help Jesus into the boat. And he holds his hand out and Jesus puts his hand in there like a woman would. And he helps him into the boat. And uh, that's the way most people see Jesus. Lowly Jesus, meek and mild. And they don't understand that the meekness of Christ, listen carefully, is strength and power under control it was said of alexander the great about his horse no one could ride that stallion except alexander the great and other people would try and alexander would give people the chance to ride his horse and that horse would throw people off and then trample them to death everybody but alexander but it was said when alexander got on the horse the horse was calm the horse was under control and the horse was a mighty weapon of war. And it was written about Alexander's horse that he was a meek animal. You know what meekness means? Not weakness, but like the horse, power and strength under control. And what people don't understand today is when they stand up and shake their fist and say, I, I defy you, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Prove to me that you exist. They can't see him because he is veiled. And they assume that because he is veiled, that he doesn't exist. And they assume that because he doesn't strike them with lightning, they can do anything that they want, and that there is no God, or that worse, they themselves are God, and they can rule and do anything they want to do at any time they want to do. But there is coming a day. And every eye is going to see it, and it's going to be a day of terror for those people because they're going to find out that they were wrong about everything they thought about Jesus. He's not weak. He's not a baby. He's not a sissy. He is the powerful, all-reigning, sovereign king of the universe. And when he comes back, he means business and he's going to set everything in order. The second coming has to do with the revealing of Christ. We shall see him as he is. Apocalypsis, the unveiling or revealing of Christ. The Bible says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and everyone who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will, listen to this, wail on account of him. There's not going to be any welcoming committees. There's not going to be any 
Um, I like to watch Andy Griffith. And there was a time when in Mayberry, there was a gold truck that was coming through. And uh, it was going to have millions of dollars of gold on it. And uh, the uh, Treasury Department came through. And they warned Andy and Barney as the law enforcement people. They said, don't tell anybody about this. Well, as you know, those of you who are old enough, you know, Barney never could keep his mouth shut. And you remember, he told everybody about it, and it got out, and uh, the town went crazy. And they had a big banner they were holding up, and they had the band there, the wonderful Mayberry band. And they held up the big banner, and it said, Mayberry welcomes gold truck, or something like that. As it turns out, the gold truck that was coming through Mayberry was a decoy. That's all it was. And they were so disappointed when they found that out. You mean they only used us to try to get the bad guys to come here instead of where the real gold truck was? Listen, whenever Jesus returns, there's not going to be a band playing. And there's not going to be somebody with a banner that said, Welcome back, Jesus, we've been waiting for you. In fact, it says what we just read is that the tribes of the earth all over the world, they're going to mourn and they're going to wail because this speaks of their doom. There's an old Stamps Baxter song that said, Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. All of the dead will rise. Righteous meet in the skies. Going where no one dies, heavenward bound. You don't hear very many songs anymore about the doom of the unbeliever. You don't hear very many songs about the wrath of God. You don't hear very many songs about that. In fact, the more our songs start sounding more like we're singing to a girlfriend or a boyfriend or something, the less the world has any reason to fear our God. And yet, the coming of the Lord is going to be a terrible time for some according to to the scripture it's not all lovey-dovey and the last thing notice that the second coming has to do with recompense recompense things are going to be set in order and there is going to be well let's let paul say it in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know god he's not handing out easter eggs he's not handing out candy He's not giving high fives to everybody, saying, you tried hard, good job, good job, we'll get it set straight. He's not doing that. The people that do not trust the Lord, if you do not trust the Lord, the Bible calls you an enemy of the cross. Why? Because the only reason you don't trust the Lord is because you don't think you have to. You think you're okay the way you are, and that means you're saying that Jesus died for nothing. For nothing. And the truth of the matter is he did die and he died for sinners like you and sinners like me. And that's why he is the only sacrifice that is acceptable to God to pay for our sins. Because he took the sin and he took the wrath, the vengeance that Paul mentions here for us. Think about this. In flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Well, if you know God, it's because Jesus on the cross took that in verse 8 for you in your place. It wasn't the nails that were the big deal, as bad as they were. 
It wasn't the beating and the scourging that he took that was the big deal. In fact, the Bible makes very, very little of those things, even though it does mention them. The worst thing about it was when Jesus took the vengeance of God the Father in your place and it liked to kill him. He shrieked when that happened. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's when he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And this is what's happening. And this is what the world doesn't know. You're going to face what Jesus faced on the cross. The unmitigated wrath of God. That is what you've earned. The wages of sin is death. You've earned it. You've got it coming with interest. And it's going to come one of these days. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if, if, uh, if I were sitting there listening to this and I had lost people in my family, I probably wouldn't listen to the rest of this sermon. I'd already be praying for them and for their souls. If I were thinking about people that I cared about, that I worked with, I'd already be thinking about how can I witness to them because the only way out of this is what's found in the last part of verse 8, and that is to obey the gospel. If this is coming because they do not obey, then the only way out is to obey the gospel. And that also means, do you understand the gospel and know what the gospel is? Because I think I'd heard the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection all my life, but I never knew why. I never knew why. Why, why is this guy dying for me? Why does that do one thing until I understood he took my hell on himself, the innocent for the guilty, and he is the sum total, the full payment for my sin on the cross. He sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. See what I mean? Take it seriously. And verse 9 says, These shall be punished with, how long does hell last? Here it is, everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. They'll see His power. They'll feel it for eternity, but not the glory of it, the shame of it, the pain of it. And uh, that's something that you and I have escaped. And it says, when He comes, that He may be glorified in His saints, that's us, and admired among those who believe. And see, that's why I say it's going to be different. When he comes back, if you're a true believer, you're going to be going, yes, yay. And you're going to be shouting for victory and you're going to admire him. He is going to be beautiful to you and glorious to you. And you are going to share in that glory. And when he returns, Christ is glorified also in these saints who are waiting for him and looking for him. So... There again, we go to the second coming of Christ. Jesus is coming soon. Good. Really? Well, it is if you're a believer, but it's not if you're not a believer. Can I talk to you just for a second about that? And just say that if you were going through the motions, I don't care how many times you go to church, I don't care how many hymns you can sing and memorize, I don't care if you've even been through Awana. 
And you know a lot of Bible verses. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord and Jesus were to come in your lifetime, Paul is writing about what you would face. And for those of you who have surrendered to Christ and you've trusted in Him as the full payment for your sins, I know you're not perfect. God knows you're not perfect. But He chooses to look at you through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. An old story I heard one time. There was a father and a son and they were in London. There was a parade. And all of the soldiers dressed in their red coats were marching down uh, the street. And uh, it started to rain. And the dad said, son, let's go inside this store. They went inside the store. And when they went inside the store to get out of the rain, the little boy said, oh, Daddy, aren't they magnificent in their wonderful white coats? And the dad looks out the window and they're red. And he goes, son, they're, they're not white. They're the red coats. That's what they've always worn. And uh, the little boy goes, oh, no, daddy, they're white. And the dad, a little bit exasperated, he kind of kneels down. You know how we do to get down on the kid's level? And when he looks at it, sure enough, the kid is telling the truth. You see, there had been red film put on the bottom of the glass and when the little boy was looking at it the red film on the glass filtered out the red in the coats and so they looked white in the same way when the Lord looks at us even though we still sin he looks at us through the red blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and though your sins are as crimson they shall be white as snow yeah it filters it out, and God looks at us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, the coming of the Lord is sweet because our sins have been paid for in full. Have yours? And if not, will you trust Him today? Will you surrender to Him as Lord of your life and trust in His payment for your sin as the full payment? Because Jesus is coming again. You say, well, what if I'm not alive when all of this happens? You're still going to face it because there's going to be a time when all of the dead that are lost are going to be called up and stand before the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the books will be open because you're going to say, but I was a good person. And they're going to open up the books and show you how you're not a good person, but you're a rebel against God. You've lied, you've cheated, you've stolen You've committed adultery, if not physically, in your heart. you failed to honor your parents. You have failed to worship God and to love God. You've broken the Ten Commandments, and therefore you stand guilty before God. And so today, I would urge you, I would encourage you, trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whatever age you are, whatever background you have, whatever sins you may have committed, the Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And when you are saved, you are ready for the coming of the Lord, at least in regards to what we read here, and you don't have anything to fear. And so those of us who are saved, we can say with confidence and with joy, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen? But those who are lost can't say that in the same way. And I want you to be able to say that. Will you trust Him today? He is willing to save. He is able to save. 
And it's not only that you can be saved, and now you move to where I must be saved. Now I'm praying that the Spirit of God will bring you to the place to where you say, I will be saved. And you will trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. Jesus is coming again. Are you ready? Is it good news for you? Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus is coming again. Triumph and victory. Not like the first time when he came born in a lowly stable and those times when uh, we find him mistreated and arrested, beaten, tried unjustly, nailed to a cross, soldiers gambling for his clothing, all of those kind of things, the shame, humiliation. But when you come again, you're coming in power, you're coming in glory, you're coming as the conquering king, you're coming to set everything in order, and you're coming to reward those who have trusted you, and you are coming to set everything right on those who are rebels, those who are enemies of the cross. That makes us think of two things. First of all, anybody who is watching online, anybody who is listening uh, uh, in this audience, I pray that if they're not saved, that today you would convict them, draw them to Jesus, that they would repent of their sins, that they would put their faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone as the payment for those sins, and that they would surrender to you as Lord, believing that you have been raised from the dead. And then it makes me think of all the people I know that don't know you. And that would include even when I think about my grandchildren. They're too little, many of them, to know anything, but I still pray for them, and I pray for their salvation. And I pray, Lord, for those who are old enough, and I pray that they would trust Christ at an early age. And as we said in Sunday school, they would remember their Creator in the days of their youth. It also means that we've got a message now in the time we have left to tell people about Jesus as we were commanded. And I pray that we would. I pray that we would think about friends, neighbors, relatives, co-workers, and uh, all of those people around us that don't know Christ, that we would be praying for them and praying that God would send laborers into his harvest and we would get serious about this because Jesus is coming again. And so, Lord, may we keep our eyes on the eastern sky and when the world gets tough and things get rough, may we not sink in despair, but may we look up because Jesus is coming again. And I pray, Father, that you would come quickly. And I pray, Lord, that we would be found ready for your return. And this we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.